how do you write a book in appreciation of silence? Why write? Why speak? Because we have to communicate. Because because we communicate what we love. Because because that too is part of the conversation. conversations with artists about the work behind their work. My name is Ruby Josephine Smith, and I am a choreographer, contemporary dancer, blog writer, and host of this very podcast. My goal is to bring you an in-depth look at the creative process from the perspective of different kinds of artists from all over the globe, learning more about what it is that drives a person to create. So I can't quite believe it. Today marks the very last episode of the sort of unofficial season one of the Process Peace podcast. I've just decided to do a first season to take a little bit of a break until about late August or September. Um, But this will give you a chance to catch up on the past episodes if you have not already. It's funny, today it's the ninth conversation that I've done, and originally I had really wanted to do an even, a nice even 10 episodes for the first season. Um, But it just, it didn't work out that way, and I ended up deciding that nine is, I think it's a good number for this podcast. It's, you know, when it's uneven, it's a bit unfinished and as this is a process it seems fitting I also I was talking to my mom yesterday and she was saying that nine is a number full of mystery my my dad apparently has always really loved that number and found it quite mysterious and seems fitting because today in today's podcast episode we are talking a lot about mystery so so it all it all fits together it's all connected so here you go number nine it's the last episode for for just a little while, just a short pause. I'm feeling so grateful though for this first season. It's been really amazing and I can't believe I just started in April, in March or April I guess it was. It seems like it's been a really a really long time already considering how much I've already learned through this process. It's been really incredible and has been a great learning experience for me. Um, We've covered a really wide variety of mediums of different art forms and people from all over the world, really. So it's it's already becoming what I imagined and at the same time even more than I could have imagined. So it's really exciting. Um, so before getting into this newest episode that I am beyond excited to share today, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for listening to this podcast and for being a part of its process. These conversations have brought me so much inspiration and collected wisdom and have really made me think about my own work as an artist and its purpose in the world. And my hope is that they do the same for you. It's really just such a joy to be able to share them with you all. So if you have been enjoying it, I would so appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. It's, it's really never too late just to pop over there and give it some stars and a couple kind words. Even better than that, though, would be to screenshot it and share this podcast on social media or just send a link to your artist friends who you think could benefit from it. 
I'm not sure I would have been able to get this far without you who have been listening and sharing and giving me feedback. I really, really appreciate it. And it's, it just makes me really happy to be able to put this out there in the world. So I believe I should get on to the artist for this week. Um, it's really, it's interesting, actually. We met because my friend here, Aida Aslan, she gave me this book called Where Epics Fail, and it's a book of aphorisms. And I had never really read aphorisms alone before. I suppose we've all read aphorisms in certain forms, but I had never read a complete book of them. Um, I wasn't exactly sure how to approach it at first. Um, But as soon as I started reading, I felt instantly connected to the words. It felt like reading poetry, but with this certain sort of silence and wisdom among it. I ended up sharing one of these aphorisms on actually the Instagram for this podcast, um, which was to bridge the gulf between art and artist. This is the spiritual work. And I quoted the author, Yahya Lababidi, and he happened to see it and responded and noticed the work that I'm doing with this podcast. And we, we really connected instantly over this mutual fascination with spirituality and art and just a general love of good conversation. So I am so happy to introduce you to this newfound friend of mine. Yahya Lababidi is an Egyptian Lebanese poet, writer, and aphorist. He grew up in Egypt, attended university in the States, and eventually moved there later in life and is still based in Florida to this day. He has written several critically acclaimed books, including his first book of aphorisms, Signposts to Elsewhere, and a collection of poetry, Balancing Acts, that came in as number one on Amazon's hot new releases. His newest compilation of aphorisms is titled Where Epics Fail, as I said, Meditations to Live By, and has already been featured on PBS's NewsHour. His books have been translated into nine different languages, and he has participated in international poetry festivals around the world. Yahya is curious about the artist as a mystic, and does not shy away from topics of spirituality and religion in his writing. He's a collector of words and wisdom, and really has a way with using language to enlighten and inspire. In this slightly longer, beautiful spiral of a conversation, we discuss Yahya's literary background, displacement and the concept of formulating your own creative home, the difference between writing prose, poetry, and aphorisms for him, and the beauty and terror of having an artistic calling. Within the realm of callings, we also delve into the image of the suffering artist and the deep connectedness of faith and art. We talk about faith almost as if it's an F word within the artistic community because it's something that's not always not always comfortable to talk about, but we, we really get into it in this episode. Yahya is a passionate and thoughtful conversationalist, and our conversation really took me to new depths of exploring the mystery and spirit of the creative process. My hope is that it does the same for you. And you're fairly new to this, no? I mean, when I... I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an old podcast listener. I've been listening to them for years. Um, I actually, my favorite podcast is On Being. I saw that you wrote some pieces for there. No kidding. Yeah, Yeah, it's my absolute favorite podcast. It's like what introduced me to this world. They're (laughs) wonderful. They're wonderful. I hold them in very high regard. I've done a few pieces for them at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't, I haven't done the the podcast interview thing, but I have submitted, I want to say 
four pieces or so uh, over the years. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. So anyway, I just started podcasting, I think, um, last March was when I started oh, okay. actually recording interviews and things. And yeah, it's been, I mean, you know, it's called Process Piece and it's really apt because it's a process for me as yeah, well of, of learning how this works and everything. Yeah, I think it's a great thing. I really do. I mean, I think mm -hmm. anyone who values uh, conversation it's it's such a I mean it's 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 far better than than sending in typewritten questions and answers. It's, yeah, there's something about the the live moment that brings out unexpected, you know, exactly. realizations, confessions. Yeah, exactly. And I'm doing a bit of a research on conversations this year. Um, it's mm. kind of a personal artistic project as well. I'm I'm doing this, and then at the same time in my dance work, I'm also working with. At the moment, I'm just working solo conversations with myself, I suppose. Well, now you have me. Um, but now I... you have me very interested because the <laughs> art of conversation is everything to me. I would, you know, the, the writing yeah. I think is almost secondary. Uh, but mm. but conversation. What, what do you mean when you say I'm doing research about conversation? What type of research does that mean? Um, a, a lot of different things. Um, in my choreography, that just means um, exploring movements that are kind of talking with myself okay. um, and how I can express that through movement. Okay. Um, eventually, I'd like to work with other dancers and work on how um, physical bodies can talk to each other without uh -huh. words, um, which is, of course, what dance is, but yeah. kind of going deeper into that idea. Um, and then surrounding all that, I'm just reading a ton about conversations. I'm collecting all the books that I can, all the articles that I can. and Yeah, that's, yeah. I, I, I can't <laughs> yeah. tell you how interesting I am with conversations. That's I, so cool. Um, this is a quick aside, and then I'll zip my lip for a bit to let you go. No, no, it's okay. Things. So <laughs> it's okay. It's I so love conversations that mm -hmm. there is a friend that I never met, who is a fellow aphorist and, and, and writer. His name is Alex Stein, and I I read your book. Oh, okay, you did. <laughs> I read the art. The artist is mystic. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, I read terrific. that. So that basically. Uh -huh was a very sort of queer premise because we both sort of read the same people and had mm -hmm. more or less the same reactions. And at some point, I think Alex's dad was a good talker. And so Alex sort of mm. became interested in conversations. And at some point he asked me, well, would you be willing to, to talk? You know, we'll just talk about these uh, books and, and writers together. Mm -hmm. And we did, except he had this funny thing where he would actually not talk. So his conversation right. was so attentive. It was just listening. Uh, and I would just really talk. I mean, I would, he, we'd, we'd get, he'd, I don't know, he'd start recording and give me mm -hmm. sort of talking points or we'd have talking points agreed upon. And I'd be talking yeah. out into the night for three, four hours at a time. Wow. And then in transcribing it, he'd somehow talk back to the text. And right. Yeah, it me... was really interesting. The form really of it was so I, That's cool to know. Yeah. yeah. So great. That, well, that's we conversation. Have... That's conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's. We can go ahead and start ours. Here. Absolutely. I, I'm ready. Um, perfect. So I actually I took a page out of Krista Tippett's book um, from On Being. Um, uh -huh. in her conversations, you know, she starts all of them with um, the spiritual background of people ah. um, and so i like to start by asking what is your first memory of creating something and as well what was the presence of art and creativity in your upbringing what is my first memory good question well let me let me let me begin by saying i grew up in a fairly literary household meaning mm -hmm. um this was encouraged not discouraged as it might have been in my part of the world 
um, right. or in any part of the world for that matter, as, as an impractical, whimsical pursuit. But it, sure. in, in my case, it was encouraged. We had um, sort of an informal literary salon uh, in our home. So there would be poets and philosophers and artists. And I didn't realize then as a teenager that I belonged to this tribe, but I would sort mm -hmm. of, you know, pass through and I actually enjoyed, I preferred hanging out with with those old crazies than I did with people my age. So if I could, sure. yeah, if I could linger and not go out, you know, dancing or whatever I did. And, and they really spoke to me and sort of fired me up and I would get a lot of encouragement. You should write, this is towards sort of my teens, mid mm -hmm. to late teens. I was always a reader. Uh, that was where I sort of got, I got to transport myself to escape, to to lead many lives. Mm -hmm. So I would read and it was not necessarily edifying at that early age. It was horror stories. Um, really? <laughs> oh my goodness. I read Stephen King obsessively. And then funny oh, enough, amazing. Stephen King, well, before Stephen King, there was, you know, The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe and fantasy, sure, that kind yeah. of stuff, which was kind yeah. of, I mean, it was spiritual without my knowing it. I was, mm -hmm. I was really in awe of Aslan, the, the lion who sacrifices himself so the kids can go back home. That really mm -hmm. captured my imagination. And then sort of that led to, um, to horror uh, stories. And then, and then I remember reading um, Herman Hesse quite intensely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I read okay. everything of his, but the glass bead game. Um, so reading was always a big <laughs> part. Um, family uh, sort of encouraged that kind of thing. And there was one particular writer who, who, who passed away recently. He was sort of our mm -hmm. Kurt Vonnegut in Egypt, okay. really for the Middle Egypt. East. Okay. Uh, he, he was a satirical writer, but he, he's the one who really pushed me to, to write. And, I, and he ends up publishing a short story of mine behind my back in the local newspaper. And I was actually not very happy mm -hmm. with that because I was like, no, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And he says, yeah. that's the mark of a writer is that you're never ready. Uh, yeah, you're never ready to have it out in the world. No, that's because, true. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, uh, there's always something else. You could have done a better job with this. Yeah, absolutely. So as you were reading, were you also writing from a young age or did it really just start um, with um, absorbing? You know, I, I have to, this is a tough one because I, I really didn't answer your first question either. Um, oh no, you did. Yeah. I, did I in a roundabout way? So I, right. <laughs> I was I was reading and kind of channeling spirits more than anything else. I mean, I when I read mm -hmm. Gobran, for example, and Gobran as a my dad's Lebanese, uh, right. Gobran as a someone with a Lebanese father is an inescapable influence, and he really mm -hmm. resonated. This is as a teenager, and I really got involved. I mean, I was reading his letters and his diaries and. And certainly mm. things like The Prophet and also um, Sand and Foam, a collection of aphorisms. I didn't know what oh, aphorisms okay. were at the time, even though I grew up in a culture that um, really encouraged uh, proverbs and people speaking in proverbs and this kind of thing. Right. So it was seeping into my consciousness and searing itself on, on my brain in a way I wasn't fully conscious of. And when I say I was channeling their spirits, these, were, these people became more real to me then mm. the flesh and blood relatives and friends around me. And I turned to them for solace. I turned to them to articulate these inchoate emotions and feelings that I didn't know. And I would entrust them, you know, with secrets and longings that 
I frankly didn't see fit to share with even family mm. or friends. Uh, so they they got to me before I got to me uh, because because <laughs> they they were wiser and the fact that they were long dead mm. helped me to confide my secrets in them. So yeah, it was it <laughs> right. really it really was books um, as friends as confidants as guides and then actually beginning to write. I would say. Uh, at some point, I think in high school, they asked us to do a personal profile. I guess you submitted mm. to college. And I remember my mom being very excited about that and showing it to her writer friends and saying, you're a writer. Don't you recognize you're a writer? And I thought, yeah. no, I don't recognize that I'm a writer. I enjoyed you know, playing with words and, and sort of mm. confessing to the page. But I don't want to sit in a room by myself and stare at a blank page. I'd much rather be out playing with people. <laughs> That's interesting that that was your vision of a writer. It was this very solitary, dreadful, stuck in a room, dreadful. dreadful yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was punishment. Like when, like when in school they'd say really? to you, you know, go to a, a room and stare at the wall or something like that. Little did I realize mm -hmm. that I'd be going to a room and staring at, at a wall willingly, voluntarily, <laughs> and eagerly in my adult years because it was a companionable uh, solitude. I, 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 right. I didn't. I didn't realize that part of it. I thought I would be alone, but I, I actually wasn't alone. I couldn't wait to see who else mm. showed up or what, what came out. Right. Well, already you, you weren't alone among all of those authors and yeah. everyone that you're reading. I mean, yeah. you, in that sense, you did answer my first question, which was, what is your first memory of creating something? And really, you were already creating this, this world, I think, in your mind of, I think of so. mentors and authors. And I, yeah, it doesn't have to be something tangible. No, I think so. And you know, uh, Ruby, now that I think of it, I have even a, a slightly better answer for both questions. Okay, go I ahead. I did begin to write in the margins of these books. Mm. Uh, I do remember distinctly writing in Wilde's Dorian Gray, for example, because that really that speaking of the art of conversation and aphorisms mm -hmm. and 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 sort of philosophy and it all came together in that book. Even mm. you know, I don't know how other people see it, but it was a cautionary tale. It was moral as far as I was concerned. But I was fifteen or sixteen, so I didn't fully understand you know its its implications. Sure. But I did think, yeah. oh wow. I want to write like that because it was it was like it was like good talk, which it was because he was stealing mm. from his own conversation. And it also it was it was the it was my introduction to aphorisms and this idea of summing up in a, in a, in a, in a sentence, you know, an entire philosophy or an entire concept. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was scribbling in the margins and, and actually these these uh, talking back to these books these uh, notes in the margins did become my first book, Signpost to Elsewhere. I just kind of mm. peeled them off the margins and onto, oh, uh, onto the page. And I realized that I'd had a book there without even knowing it, just by talking wow. back to my teachers and, and, and masters that way. Mm. So, I mean, writing really is a conversation for you, it sounds like. Absolutely. Especially aphorisms. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. Really I didn't even... You know what? I don't think I fully realized that, although I must have on some level. <laughs> but yeah, writing uh, is a conversation, and it's um, maybe now less so with with writers. I think early on it definitely was talking back to mm -hmm. these writers. Now I'm not quite sure. Uh, well, I am to a certain extent. I think it becomes a conversation with with oneself, uh, mm -hmm. with existence, and then on a higher level with the divine. I, I do think it's still yeah. 
a conversation. It's just that I'm no longer talking to these um, great dead guides, which I so desperately <laughs> needed in my teens right. and 20s. Right. Yeah, they gave you what you needed at the time and yeah. then the conversation evolves. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want, to, I want to dive into your aphorisms, but before that, I wanted to just talk a little bit more about your, your background before you really became a, a developed writer, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're half Lebanese and half Egyptian, yes? Correct. And grew up mostly in Egypt. Correct. Um, I grew up, I grew so, up, I was born in Egypt. Yes. Um, Lebanon is sort of a fantasy idea for me because I've only been mm. a couple of times and I heard my dad growing up, you know, talking about it was the Switzerland of the Middle East. It was the Paris of the Middle East. So <laughs> yeah, it was, I've it heard was, it described as that. Yeah, yeah, it was just like a fantasy island. And sure. um, when I visited, I felt like, um, like, like I was sort of tracing the face of my biological parent and recognizing mm. features. Uh, I, I didn't realize how Lebanese I was. I assumed I was just fully Egyptian, huh. but there was some sort of permission in the air that that I didn't uh, see. I didn't find in Egypt. I still identify as Egyptian primarily, but sure. I thought, no, you know, I'm, I'm more Lebanese than I think. Uh, that explains mm. some of the contradictions. But all along, I was in Egypt and you know, they have this yeah. funny law in Egypt because my mother is Egyptian and she'd married a foreigner. Uh, so mm. so we were raised up until I was 30 or so, my brother and I, as foreigners in, in our own homeland. Really? Yeah, because my huh. mom was being punished for not finding a good Egyptian to marry. So she couldn't oh, pass God. the nationality on, which is absurd. Wow. So, so it meant that, <laughs> you know, people would show up to the house every once in a while and say, where are the three? Show us the three Lebanese people. And she'd say, you mean my husband and two children? So I was a foreigner at home. And then everywhere else I went, mm. subsequently, I also felt a foreigner. I certainly feel like a foreigner yeah. in the US. That's, that's why I brought it up, because I'm, I'm fascinated with this um, idea of displacement and kind of finding a home within a place that's not really your home. I mean, well, that's, look at that's, you. you know, what yeah. I've, I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I've been trying to do in Morocco. Um, so it, it almost fascinates me as much as the creative process, actually. And I, I think the two are linked as well. I think that That's the concept of home, I th yeah, I think the concept of home really informs your creativity and oh, wow. so much of what you create in your art. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm saying that you as a general you, but no, now I have to personally, where my so home is. if that's, if that's true, mm. in fact, then my home would be language then my home mm. would be sort of the, the life of the spirit at this point. But my home is no longer Egypt, if, if that is true. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I kind of like it. Uh, I think that might well be true. Uh, and I, and this connection between home and creativity, that didn't occur to me either. So that I need really? just a moment to think through. Um, sure. I think we discover our, um, our home and our, our relatives uh, sort of retrospectively in, in some regard. It's not necessarily where mm. you're born or whom you, you're born to. That's a part of it. That's a part right. of it. They're, they could be your foster parents. That can be <laughs> sure. your adopted home, even though they're your flesh and blood. Um, but I think, I think home is such a tremendous idea, you know, capital mm. H, that I don't think it need be a geographical place. I mean, yeah. certainly the U.S. is not my home. I'm grateful for this um, resting house uh, right. it to houses catch my you. breath. Exactly. 
and and mm-hmm. in wonder look around me and i and i thank them for welcoming me and and giving me a home uh temporarily mm-hmm. but um i don't think of it as home uh mm-hmm. egypt you know egypt is great i i miss it i idealize it now that i'm gone but i had issue with it when i was mm-hmm. when it was my home and right so i don't know i don't know that it is my home as far as my creativity um Place is not really part of my work. There's very yeah. little place in my in my work. I know that for some people, the protagonist is place, and that's very important. Mm. But um, right. but you know, place hardly figures in my writing. Hmm, that's really interesting, yeah. and that's quite Sufi as well. I've I've read quite a bit on Sufism, and I. I've I personally feel a connection to Sufism, yeah. and a lot, a lot of it is about this kind of wandering nomad. Um, mm. So that that makes a lot of sense. It's it's interesting. You you mentioned this. I was watching an interview last night with uh, Sinead O'Connor. Are you familiar with with Sinead O'Connor? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So absolutely. we briefly corresponded. She and I before her her um, conversion, or um, or is it called conversion? Is that what they call it? I think I've she heard has it called conversion. Word. I've also. I've also heard it called revert. Revert. Actually. She calls it revert, which I, is interesting. Does she call it? Yeah, it yeah, is she, interesting. She yeah. says she was always a Muslim. Um, yeah. But but um, but why why was I mentioning her? Yes, yeah, so I was watching um, a thing where she says uh, that she was always a Muslim and this kind of and and that this was her reverting to her origin and she'd always been mm-hmm. fascinated by theology and she'd studied everything and this was sort of the next uh, logical step for her. By the same token, um, I don't dare call myself a Sufi because I'm well aware of my mm. of my shortcomings and how much of a, a, a great distance I still have to cover. But I've always sure. been drawn to it uh, so right. much so uh, that yeah. even in in my agnostic, doubting, loud, um, confused, existentialist, punk philosopher uh, days, when I you know <laughs> was. I want to say like 19 through 25 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted nothing to do with organized religion. And especially mm-hmm. as it manifested home, meaning in Egypt right. with the very in loud, uh, hypocritical religiosity that I saw around me, not at home necessarily, mm-hmm. but around me in the streets. Um, sure. I was very drawn to the Sufis. They just, they always spoke to me. They always spoke to mm-hmm. me. And, and I didn't know how or why, and only very recently in the U.S. have I begun to sort of mine that longing in a, in a more uh, focused way and, mm-hmm. and just enter through the back door of, of, of a faith that was my birthright, but, but one that I'd sort of shunned um, just in a kind of reactionary manner growing up there. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. I think often going far away from your home. From from me, I feel like being far from where I grew up has really brought me back to a sense of my childhood imagination. Mm-hmm. And and kind of that's that's the memory that I hold and that's what I'm kind of returning to here with my with my creative self and also with my spiritual self. Yeah. Um that's, that's, it's kind of this it, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and it sounds like that's what you've done in a sense with with both creativity and faith. It's it's funny. It's funny, and I'm interested in your experience because I mean, mm. uh, being in Morocco, I'd love. First of all, Morocco's high up on my list of places I want to go cool. to, yeah. and has yeah, been for a long, long time. 
Um, it, yeah. it, I think what's interesting is contrast. Uh, and I think, mm. I think we, 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 if we're unchallenged, if, or, or if we're sort of in our environment, um, we, we, we don't, we're not challenged. We, be, we, 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 we become more apathetic. Um, mm -hmm. whereas if you're taken to a new environment, all your senses are tingling brightly, you're being used up, you're more alert, you pay attention in a different way because you have to, because you need to right. navigate this new territory and you need to figure out how you fit in and how you're going to survive, etc. I think coming here did that for me, even though I'd gone to college here, that mm -hmm. doesn't really count because my right. I, I, was, I was buried between book covers and navel gazing and i i really didn't yeah. look around in many ways mm -hmm. for the four years that i was here but now yeah. i did because it was a sort of it was a different decision to consciously come here and i'm a little bit further on i came here as a 32 year old versus right. 18 or 19 years old and um and yeah i i sort of found myself uh almost i mean there's a very vulgar egyptian saying about um <laughs> Very vulgar, coarse. I should not be mentioning this, but I mean, but I, I'll try to I'll try to sweeten it a little bit. Someone dies. They say someone dies, and they put a sugar cube up their bum. Okay, I know, right? I don't there's, even know why. There's a lot of in Morocco too. There's, there's a what? lot of sayings what? like, like oh. how is that a bridge from Sufism? Oh. I don't understand. But that's the right. human being for you. That's the human being yeah, for you. Exactly. And I was not expecting to cite that. That's conversation for you. <laughs> there <So> it is. <laughs> I, think, I think what they mean by that is our tendency to idealize uh, when, when the deceased is no longer there reminding you mm -hmm. of all their human, all too human faults. Sure. And yeah. I think that applies to nations too. So, okay. Which is not yeah. to say that Egypt has died for me. But, no. but it's not a life for me in the way it was when I lived there and when I had to interact mm -hmm. on a daily basis and sometimes grew very frustrated with the most basic interactions being so needlessly mm -hmm. difficult and all the extra noise that, you know, people put upon you to be a certain way when, you know, maybe they're not even upholding that ideal themselves and just all the nonsense that comes with, um, with home with home yeah. and with family <laughs> and with, with in, people right. who are so intimate that they tell you how to live your life kind of thing. <laughs> and so because sure, I have yeah. that distance now, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, the sugar cubes are out. And, and because <laughs> the sugar cubes are out, I allowed myself to go to the sweetest place that I know, which is Sufism. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Well, well, with that, I think we should talk about your newest book, Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, which is um, where epics fail, meditations to live by. And it's funny, uh, a friend just gave, the, kind of thrust the book upon me probably yes. about a month ago in saying Morocco. you really need to read this. In Morocco, yeah. She, oh, it's, she's a friend from Singapore, oh, wow. um, but she loves books as much as I do. And we're all, we kind of have a, a two-person book club we're always exchanging. Oh, that's um, so she just gave yours to me and said, you know, I, I'm only halfway through, but I love this and I think you would love it. So, you know, read it in the meantime. Mm. Um, yeah, and I just, I flew through it. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's fascinating because I've, I, I read quite a bit of poetry, but mm -hmm. I had never really sat down and read aphorisms before. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's, it's a, a different it's a form funny, that we... It's a funny form because it's neither poetry mm -hmm. 
nor quite philosophy, but it's somewhere right. in between that with also uh, with, with, with spirituality in the mix because it does go back. I mean, you do have proverbs mm -hmm. in the Bible. There's certain, uh, certainly the, the, the Sufis, uh, even preceding that. I, I would say maybe wisdom literature um, by and large. But um, I, I was introduced to it, like I mentioned, really quite by accident because it's a culture mm -hmm. that I come, uh, I come from a culture where even if you're illiterate or maybe especially if you're illiterate, you mm. speak in Proverbs. And, right. and, and, and I had these grandmothers who, you know, uh, one of them is still alive, but uh, Egypt on my, uh, on my Egyptian side and on my Palestinian Lebanese side who could speak exclusively in Proverbs. <laughs> There was a proverb wow. for everything. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and it was this sort of sing-songy, witty-wise uh, way mm. of way of communicating, and and I sort of that seeped into my consciousness, and um, and was emblazoned uh, somehow as uh, some. It, it was acceptable. It was not pretentious when I found myself writing it because I thought, you know, mm -hmm. people do this all the time. You know, there's nothing unusual right. about this. And then right. I and then I would read someone like Wilde at 15 or Gubran at 15, who were aphorists, uh, who mm -hmm. identified as, as aphorists. And Nietzsche came later when I went to college. Um, right. Lately, I've been reading um, Sufi aphorists, and okay. I think they yeah. have informed uh, the new book where epics fail, um, mm. to, to a large extent because because that's what was sustaining me and feeding me at the time. And also the book takes its title from uh, a, 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 an, an epigram, a Persian epigram. Persian, yeah, yeah I that, remember reading that. that yeah. um, basically epigrams succeed where epics fail. So I thought, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, if we live in an age when epics seem to be failing and, and epics, you can substitute mm. whatever you like. Epics can right. also be tradition, can be absolutes, can be morality. I mean, there are so many mm. epics besides literature that seem to no longer hold in this day and age. So it's a mm. relativizing age. It's the age of fragments. It's the age of doubt, uh, of, of cynicism. Yeah. And, and so I thought that's really that would really work well for this type of a book mm. and this type of a time because Where, where epics are failing, maybe these epigrams will, will, will succeed in being better heard. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought of it in that sense of trying to speak to an age when everything already is so short and fragmented. Mm -hmm. um, it fits within that, but at the same time, it's a very different concept. Um, I, I just had jotted down that you wrote, aphorisms respect the wisdom of silence by disturbing it briefly. That um, that and one. that's what that's what yeah, yeah I mean, it's a great description of it because you you feel the the silence in the book and you feel the silence among each aphorism it's as if there's almost a pause in between which we don't usually get those pauses you know when, when we're reading something online these quick little quips you, d you don't get a pause to think about them that's so good to hear Ruby like I can't even begin to tell you because the book is a kind of love letter to silence And mm. how do you write a book in appreciation of silence? Why write? Why speak? Because mm -hmm. we have to communicate. Because, because we communicate what we love. Because 
because that too is part of the conversation. So, so if I could find a way to say as little as possible and get mm. out of my way and yours and return you and us to the silence, that would be success um, as I understand it. So for you mm. to say that you do hear the silence and that it's in between the aphorisms and, and that the aphorisms sort of take you to it, that means a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. I'm glad. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the process of writing that then. So first of all, I, I know you write poetry as well. Is there is there a big difference in the process of writing an aphorism and writing poetry? That's an interesting question. I, it's funny because now I'm in the process of issuing, reissuing rather, my first book of aphorisms, which was the mm, one I mentioned okay. earlier. Right. Uh, uh, it's called Signpost to Elsewhere. So I'm, I was just sitting with that last night and I'm, huh. and I'm basically measuring the distance between that book and this book, the, the new one, Epics Fail. And mm. the process hasn't changed to answer your question, meaning the process okay. is still not in my hands and the process is, is still um, not quite like poetry. When I was younger, when I wrote this first one or when I cobbled the mm. first book together, um, it was really just notes uh, in the margins. It became notes scribbled on the backs of um, handkerchiefs, uh, or uh, what mm -hmm. are they called? Napkins, rather. I didn't have handkerchiefs. Yeah. Um, I'm not that Quite fancy. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, on the back of my walking Sorry. cane. Uh, no, it was just <laughs> little bits and pieces that I, you know, I, sure. even I, I was so su superstitious at the time, and still am to a large extent, that I would be lying in bed. I'd keep bits of paper by my bed, but it couldn't be like a formal notebook because the thoughts would be, mm. it would be like, I, I said it in a poem, I felt like it was animals that were shy to leave their, their hole because they sensed mm. their, the notebook was a rifle uh, that was outside huh. and they were too shy to sort of venture out because the notebook was there. The rifle notebook awaited mm. them. So I would just I understand sort of, that. You know, you know, because the creative <laughs> process is yeah. so mysterious and elusive that way. So I would just mm -hmm. leave these random bits of paper that didn't really qualify as a notebook <laughs> uh, or, okay. or anything or the back of something I had just finished eating. And, and I would <laughs> not wear my glasses and not turn the lights on. And if something occurred to me, because they were really conversations I was having with myself. And occasionally I mm. think, oh, here's a line worth quoting and worth sharing. Yeah. Here's a standalone line. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would, I would write that down. And then I would sort of look at it in the morning. With poems, poems do begin the same way too. Uh, mm -hmm. But but a poem, a poem um, wants to develop itself and sort of capture something. I mean, I think of poems as almost butterfly nets, and I want to capture the butterfly still flapping. Um, mm. And and because if you pin and mount it, it's done. It's through. It's sure. no longer a living thing. Uh, and and so you're sort of you're you're. I guess they both can do that, and aphorism can do that too. Mm. But but a poem is 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 more visual. It's more of a story. Um, it allows itself to kind of venture further. When I was younger, I, I defined it mm. to myself in this way. I said that because I would write, I would write um, fiction, 
I would write aphorisms and I'd write poetry. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and my fiction could also be prose. So I thought, I okay. thought prose was, was the mind's work. Uh, even mm -hmm. if it was fiction, it was still mind. Meaning if you give me an assignment, write me an essay about conversations, I can do that now. I will sit, right. I will research the way you're researching and, and other ways <laughs> right. because I don't have a movement mm -hmm. in my arsenal sure. uh, and dance. But I can do that. And, and I do that for paying work, for example. But I can't mm -hmm. write a poem on command. Mm -hmm. And I certainly can't write an aphorism on command. Poetry, I think, okay. is more an affair of the heart. So mm. it's messier. My heart is messier. And my heart mm. is, 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 is still learning that way. Sure. Af aphorisms uh, are slightly more terrifying because they know more than I know, because I, I suspect oh. they're more connected to the soul. And so mm. they, I, I've written about how my aphorisms, if I can even call them mine, mock me because they know more than I know. So I, I am not equal mm. to the aphorisms. I'm not equal to the aphorisms that I presumably wrote when I was 19 or 21. I'm certainly not equal to the ones in where epics fail. I'm still catching up. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so aphorisms, I think, are more to do with the soul and, and, and the spirit. And, and they, they talk above our heads in that regard. Um, mm. So, yeah, so I look at them and I, and I, and I, and I, and I sometimes I, I feel... I'm aware, I'm, I'm made more aware of, of the gulf between the work and the worker. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. It makes me think about the concept of having an artistic calling. Uh -huh. um, because it's kind of, the, it, you describe it as this thing that just comes to you and you have to catch up with it. You know, it's, it's also I, similar to I the believe, concept of the muse. I, and, I yeah. believe on my knees in an artistic calling. Mm. And, and this is why we call yeah. the book The Artist is Mystic, this book of conversations. Right. Right. I think you needn't say the G word. You needn't mm, profess yeah. a particular faith. In fact, how wonderful might it be if one never said that, if one never right. said it out loud at least, and your last word, if you'd earned it, might be a profession of faith and your and mm. your life and your works and whatever other words left your mouth and that you 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 dared utter uh wholeheartedly would attest to that so i think an artist is uh, to be an artist is a calling and it, and it involves mm. the same sense of awe and sacrifice and discipline and 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 humility um, mm -hmm. I mean, as an artist, you give, you, you sell, you sell a whole lot. You give up a great deal of your freedoms you, for a mm -hmm. greater freedom, for a greater liberty. Right. But, but it means you can't go out, or at least this artist can't go out every time he's asked to go out because he, there's a jealous mistress at home that says, no, stay <laughs> here. I need yeah. you. I need you. Right. And, and so I do think of, of the creative life as um, a calling. And, and right. then how interesting that it might lead you to another calling, a higher calling of sorts. Mm. Um, there's a line Rumi says when he's at the peak of his uh, fame as a poet and he's sort of in a, in a cranky mood uh, uh, and he says yeah. something along the lines of, what have I to do with poetry? Um, mm. and, and, and forgive me, I'm not quoting it directly, but the gist of it That's is, right. So this idea of you may have a talent, you may have mm. uh, a, a gift 
because it is a gift. It's not yours. It's not yours to do it as you please. And you're, you're, because it is a gift, you're required to honor it by, mm-hmm. by serving it as best you can. But, um, but yeah, it is a calling. It, I, absolutely, yeah. I've come to think of it as a calling. I came to think of it as a calling yeah. in my late teens when I began to write. It's interesting, uh, the, the description that you give of the calling, I, one of the adjectives that came to my mind as you were describing it is terror, actually. Ah, that's, because that's there's this, it's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm still quite early in my career, I would say, as an artist, as a dancer, whatever path I'm going to be on. And there's this, this I, I also feel this sense of artistic calling, but it comes with this sense of fear of not living up to that. Mm. And I'm wondering if you ever have experienced this and how you how you're able to recognize the calling and and follow it. I, if you can even begin to describe that at your age through my early 30s, I was mortified, mortified. <laughs> I mean, Good to know. <laughs> um, I thought I could never marry. I thought hmm. I could never hold a job which is still a challenge um, as a freelance writer. <laughs> sure. um, but I thought that I had to join a kind of monastery for artists. I, I mm. thought I had to jealously guard my solitude. Um, nothing was ever good enough uh, in relation to what, you know, if, uh, since I have this book in mind, this, um, this book that's being reissued of aphorisms, the epigraph yeah. <laughs> for it, which I've chosen, is by uh, Thomas uh, Aquinas. Aquinas. Mm-hmm. I never know how to pronounce the last name. Um, so so the, the, epi- the epigraph is, All I have written seems to me like straw compared with what I have seen and what mm. has been revealed to me. And so this idea of whatever you write, whatever you create, always of necessity will fall short mm. of the ideal. So you're tormented by the ideal and to seek an ideal, to be wed to an ideal in this way is a terrifying journey and mm-hmm. of necessity, you must make peace with failure because this, yeah. this will be your companion all the way along this path. Um, there's a beautiful description of the sublime by Milton and he mm. describes it as beauty that hath terror in it hmm, which agrees yeah. with your notion of being terrified in relation to your calling yeah. so yeah it's it's a yeah. terrifying terrifying business because right. you're no longer measuring yourself up to you know the idols that are on tv or on the new in sure. the news or now now it's a whole nother standard and and these are people that um as artists, you study the life of artists. Uh, it's, tr- I mean, there, you cannot, you cannot excise the suffering from it. Uh, it, right. it almost seems to be in yeah. proportion to the accomplishment. And I'm not romanticizing needless suffering. Uh, I'm, sure. I'm just saying that, that to an extent, the greater their capacity for suffering needful suffering, meaningful suffering, the greater mm. they were, let's say, uh, gifted um, X, Y, Z, whether it's vision sure. or creation or, I mean, whatever it is, but the, the, the people who are not willing to sacrifice 
I think, remain superficial. And that's not one of the terms mm. a great artist is looking to cultivate. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting because I always, I, I really rejected the idea of the suffering artist, especially growing up. Both of my parents are artists and they're, they're quite happy, uh, mm. stable people. So I, I didn't like this idea of, you know, you have to suffer, you have to be in agony. And, but I, I've come to see it as kind of what you're talking about, not a different needless. kind of suffering and exactly yeah. not needless. It's this, yeah, it's the suffering of, knowing that there's always something greater within you and outside of you that yes. you're striving for. Let me give you another quotation because my head is full of them. They're <laughs> okay. Great. Oh, they're still with me, even though I think I've stopped turning to these great dead masters. They're Amazing. still in my head. Um, yeah. Rimbaud has this beautiful line, which really set me on the path very early on and will address mm -hmm. what you're talking about in relation to the aversion you have for suffering which I fully mm. understand because I'm a joyful person. I, I believe right. yeah, it shows, yeah. <laughs> ecstasy and delirium, even silliness. I love right. silliness. I think there's great wisdom in silliness. I want Absolutely. my sages to be playful. I think if you're seriously playful, that's the highest yeah. you can be. I but, know, my brother studied clowning, so I know Oh my that. goodness, clowns. <laughs> I, oh my, I hold them in the highest regard. Yep. In the highest Absolutely. regard. The other thing I wanted to get back to you about uh, in regards to suffering mm -hmm. and not romanticizing it. I, I, I might have as a younger man. I don't romanticize it now. In fact, mm. I, I, I run from it. I run from, from any suffering that I regard as needless. So Rambo, I'm an impressionable teenager and he is having sort of this great experience of recognizing that despite perhaps his own wishes for, for, I don't know, his hedonistic wishes for living a kind of pleasure-seeking, just a life without concern. He mm -hmm. has this calling, this great artistic calling that is making demands of him and making them fairly early on uh, mm -hmm. in, at 15 uh, or so. And then he yeah. makes this great in one of his letters called the voyou letters the visionary letters he makes this mm -hmm. great uh, confession or profession or states this manifesto and he says one should not say i think but i am thought i am thought mm. i is another and this culminates with the line too bad for the wood that finds itself a violin i think that encapsulated for me what it meant to be an artist that here you are common wood required mm -hmm. to make this sublime music what yeah. agony would be required to produce this ecstasy yeah. so i am not promoting suffering for the sake of suffering i don't buy that i'm not interested in it i flee it right. at this point but i'm also <laughs> recognizing that if you wish to be an artist, this is an extraordinary calling and makes great demands on you and requires of ordinary wood, this, hmm. this human being, <laughs> this all too human flawed creature hmm. to, to approach the sublime and, and be a vessel even for the sublime. So if you ache every now and then, small price to pay. Right. Yeah. 
Well, that I'm not going to spend the whole time quoting your aphorisms back to you, but there was one in particular that reminds me of that that was my favorite and, and really spoke directly to me, which was, one must be careful to keep their balance when they carry a whole world inside of them. Mm. And it, 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 there's something about that, that you feel that weight of something inside of you. <clears throat> and to keep that balance, it, it's a struggle. It's it, really, it's that's where struggle. the, the it, struggle comes it, from. It's a struggle but, because you have to live in this world and you have mm. to live joyfully, gratefully, mm -hmm. ecstatically even in this world without shortchanging that world, which right. informs and your living more fully in this world. Right. And and so it that's... I was going to say... Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, your turn. <laughs> no, it was... It, uh, no, I, I, I also uh, wrote down a quote from Rilke that you mentioned in Artists as Mystic, um, where he talks about creative artists bridging, being the bridge between two worlds. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is, yeah. And Kafka, Kafka is another one that was a formative and deformative influence growing up, who talks about <laughs> sure. basically um, this great world that he carries in his head and how to release it without... Mm rupturing his, his his entire being but rather you know be torn apart than keep it within himself and so it's this idea and i and i think truth agrees with itself and it echoes across mm -hmm. generations across cultures across disciplines it, it's the same thing it's the it's this you know old wine in new bottles um mm -hmm. so the idea is that's why i was terrified as a teenager with this mm -hmm. calling because I thought yeah. I can't keep my balance. My head right. is, I'm too top heavy. I'm gonna, if, if you're carrying a world, I thought it was in my head. Turns out I was carrying mm. it. I'm, I've learned to carry it in my, in my center, in my heart, so mm. that I can be more yeah. balanced. But I thought yeah, at the time the it was all the head, the head, you know, it was all mind. And, and, it, and so as a result, I was afraid I would just topple over and I couldn't be around other people and I couldn't participate in activities I wanted to and I couldn't and I couldn't and I couldn't. And then you mm -hmm. realize at some point that there is a way to gracefully achieve this balance. And mm -hmm. uh, Kafka, again, who was, you know, really a, a companion, a companion through my late teens, um, mm. talks a lot about this notion of social intercourse seducing one to self-contemplation and mm. and for me it was always about this ratio of inner and outer uh, self and other even fasting and feasting or you know mm. silence and conversation so th these are all balancing acts and and in fact when i yeah. did put together a book of my collected poems, I called it balancing acts because I realized that whether mm. it was poetry or aphorisms or prose, all along it was it was me trying to come up with these balancing acts <laughs> through the art, because of the art, etc. That's so I'm laughing because that's so bizarre. I wrote an essay at one point yeah. about my life in Morocco and it was called the balancing act. <laughs> oh no, it's not, that's not, so, that makes really, all the yeah. sense to me. That's yeah, why yeah. you and I, Ruby, are having this conversation. Exactly. I, I believe, exactly. I believe also <laughs> that um, the fact that you were reading uh, uh, the book uh, uh, w without having met me first means mm. that words have a life of their own and they seek out their own friends. So I do believe yeah. that to be true because I, 
because books reached out to me. Books fell out of um, bookshelves mm. and, and stretched their hands out to me. And, and on account of them, I was able to carry on for another month or year or two because they sustained <laughs> right. me that way and, 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 and inspired me. Yeah. There is another quote that I really loved, um, a Rumi quote that was also an artist as mystic. Mm -hmm. This is just going to be a lot of quotes, but there's sure. so many beautiful ones, um, which is what is what you are seeking is also seeking you. Oh, good God. Um, it's yeah. <laughs> how did how did you read that? What did that mean to you? I, I think I've always felt that there's some sort of spiritual artistic thing that is seeking me that I'm striving for and it's hard to tell whether it's within me or external from me and I think the key is to find that start to find that bridge between that internal and external feeling of it and start to bridge the gap between that seeking you and seeking it absolutely if that so, makes sense that makes, yeah. that makes all the sense in the world yeah. I wanted to hear it from your lips because I know what it means to me and it's right. a light when I first encountered it um, and I didn't know why I responded to it quite the way I did, but only mm. lately have I begun to understand what, why it meant so much to me. And I think, I think the reason for me that it resonated is because I realized I'm not doing the work, the heavy lifting, the dancing alone. Mm, There's a yeah. partner out there with an outstretched hand and our arm and because right. because there's two of us then all I need to do is just meet them halfway because it is so distant there is on bad days the temptation to just give up but the fact right. of the matter is it's also seeking you it's also right. seeking you and there's something very reassuring to know that you're not alone in that regard uh, and, right. and that and that it's persistent that way and that you only have to just face that direction sometimes in order right. to see it at off at some great distance. Right. And it's difficult because I, I feel like it's something that's not always present. It's not. You know, there's there's the there's also the side of creative work that is that's almost mundane. There's mm -hmm. the more technical side where it is your work and you just have to keep plodding through it. And I think sometimes that kind of that spirit or that muse or whatever you want to call it doesn't always show itself and it's i have two things yeah here done. please go ahead no no go, go okay. ahead these are not apparently it's unfinished related, thoughts and these are more spiritual okay. than they are creative okay i think that's all right. in associate by association to what you're saying about it not always being present and mm. one has to do more mundane work in order to be afforded that glimpse every now and then just to, mm -hmm. to remind you that it's out there i think of mother Teresa, mm -hmm. who i recently uh, learned had two decades plus of of silence from her beloved where she mm -hmm. doubted and yet she yeah. never stopped working she never stopped right. praying she never stopped she never stopped trying to meet them halfway but mm -hmm. there was a silence and there was a great doubt. And one would never imagine someone in her position who did the kind of work that she did to be a doubter, to be someone mm. struggling with silence. But yet there she was working with the poorest of the poor, doing what nobody else wanted to do. 
because once upon a time she'd had that glimpse. Also one very last reference from Sufi, um, because it's all connected. It's all it connected. It is, exactly. One truth, it's, and it's all connected. It's that beautiful connectedness. Yeah. yeah, whether it's creative or spiritual, it's the same, it's the same even mm-hmm. difference on some level. I think yeah. of this terrific article that was written about the Sufis in Turkey, and mm-hmm. one of the uh, Sufis says something which echoes what the Sufis have been saying all along, ecstasy was the sugar candy of spirituality. And hmm. that can be an addiction, meaning you're not yeah. only after, an, and so, suddenly the sugar cube returns. This time it's not in the box. <laughs> I was just thinking you know, that. There's the sugar cube. I must, I must be craving sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to eat sweets when I get off the when I, get I off think this that's video. a good idea. <laughs> but, but it was just interesting because for the longest time as a, as a kid, I'm not going to say as a novice because I remain a novice, but as a kid, mm. uh, you know, in my early 20s, let's say, it was ecstasy, ecstasy, ecstasy. Now, now, that's all I want. I'll sell everything cheap for that, you know. But mm. the fact of the matter is, 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 it's that's not what it's about. What it's right. about is enduring the silence. What it's about is the everyday and the mundane and mm. doing so without expectation of treats, of sugary right. treats. Uh, right. You're doing it for the work's sake, for, for, for the sake of love, not for any sort of uh, recognition. Uh, so, so this is where you have in all the lives of, 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 of the mystics and the saints, certainly the ones that I've studied and that I'm taken mm. by, you do have these great... Um, uh, dark nights of the soul, whether it's Saint John right. of the Cross or or Mother Teresa, as we were speaking about. So this idea of doubting, silence, um, not all the time being uh, swept up, uh, you know, in, right. in, in great light. That's that's right. what it's it, about. It wouldn't exactly. It wouldn't be magic anymore if yeah. it was all the time, yeah. and it's. It's really all about faith. I mean, that's really what we're talking about is this faith in the creative process and it's, in spirituality and in it. anything. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and it, I is, think that's, it is about the, the faith. Yeah. And I think the faith by its nature necessitates waiting. I mean, mm-hmm. without, without patience, in a sense, is, is devotion. If nothing yeah. else, if one could not interrupt the process since you, you right. talk about process. If, mm-hmm. if, you, if you just, before you got up and gave up and walked away, if you'd waited a little longer, perhaps you'd have mm-hmm. gotten your answer. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that it takes a lot of time to learn, I think. Patience is a process well, in itself. We, we say in Arabic, we say <laughs> in Arabic, what one of our singers, Ummu Kalsum, maybe you've heard of her in Morocco. She's, we call her our fourth pyramid in Egypt. She's the greatest. Oh, yeah. She has a line where she says, Patience requires patience. Patience also requires patience. (laughs) Exactly. That's it. Well, this is wonderful because I think I think faith isn't really talked about enough among artists. I think Mm -hmm. you often just hear about the the imposter syndrome, the doubts, the the worrying. And it's not often talked about that there is this underlying faith. And that's what that's what ties you to the work. That's what keeps you working. It's, it's and not funny. everyone recognizes it in that way. Yeah. But 
I think being here in Morocco and also seeing the, the spirituality and the religion around me has really made me start to see it more in that parallel kind of mm. light. It's a funny thing, Ruby, and, I, and I'm noticing this more and more. I came back from New York recently where I was, I think I mentioned to you, I was covering some trial, really disturbing right. stuff. It was a cult, yeah. and oh, so God. there was a lot of you said. this idea of um, the perversion of ideals and why do people mm. entrust their longings to these charlatans? And also it had me meditating about, you know, the collective lostness of being mm. without tradition and without even family and without, you know, this just mm. this cynical modern world we live in. And one of the things <laughs> right. that I've noticed is people are very uncomfortable talking about faith uh, the same yeah. way they are talking about love. It's corny. It's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. And yet, and these, and these were artists that I was speaking to. These were actually very accomplished artists. They could be, you know, mm. directors or actresses or, or whatever who were victims to, to, um, to this uh, cult, um, but you know, whereas they're comfortable working within that environment and then waking up and working against that environment and trying to bring it down once they've seen the light, they're not right. comfortable speaking about faith. And, and, and hmm. there's this knee-jerk reaction to ridicule spirituality, yeah. to ridicule the transcendental, to ridicule. And I think to myself, how funny, you don't recognize that just by being an artist in any context you, uh, you and you and you are praying in a fashion mm. you are right. practicing faith because it's not from you it comes through you you cannot summon it at will um, you realize it will heal you and it will sort of take you where you need to go. It's not mm. yours. So if you can entrust so very much to this mysterious process, then what's in a name? Why the mm. great difficulty in, 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 in admitting some indestructible faith to some invisible force? Certainly don't name it. Certainly don't limit right. it. I'm not asking, right. I'm not interested in that. But I don't yeah. understand why they need to ridicule. But I guess that's part yeah. of the modern predicament too. Yeah, it's this discomfort, I think, with the, with the actually heavy topics. We think we can talk about yeah. the big things, but I think the, the truly big, important subjects, people and But what happens is from, it allows yeah. for these patterns to repeat themselves. So right. first the great doubt, and, and I went through it myself. I told you I was you know, an yeah, angry agnostic. Everyone goes through that. An angry yeah, agnostic, sure. and I was an existentialist, and I doubted. and. But what happens is, I think, if that persists, if that's not just a season of the soul, because mm -hmm. I think it is a season of the soul, which can deepen your faith and deepen your yeah. gratitude oh, and your surrender, you know, and then at yeah. some point, if, just as an artist to say, I don't know where this comes from. That's faith in and of itself. Yeah. 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 And you can't have faith without doubt. Also, you have to have those periods and certainly maybe more than one. Yeah. You know, you have you're not going to strengthen your faith without that. Yeah. I think yeah, those are exactly. phases, too. And it's like um, Karen Armstrong uh, speaks of it uh, in the shape of a spiral. She's terrific mm. as a sort of a, an interfaith person. And she also had this very interesting yeah. story. She joins a you're familiar with her joining um yeah okay yeah, yeah. so so she was a nun and then she became this interfaith uh she became a bridge she became a bridge right. 
and and she speaks of, of it sort of as a spiral you know it's not even it's not it's not a full circle or a cycle it's a spiral so with every stage you have your your doubt as you evolve and 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 hopefully elevate yeah exactly Wow, we have gone on quite the journey. <laughs> that is the beauty of conversation. It is, it is. In terms of your creative process, I'm, I'm really fascinated by rituals. Um, and, you know, rituals are something present in religion, but also mm-hmm. in art making, I believe, and it's something mm-hmm. we need to keep a practice. And so I'm curious if you have any daily rituals or just regular rituals in general that help your your writing process or your creative process in general i admire uh, writers who do and i think it is part of our dna possibly Mm. uh, connected to the religious impulse as you mentioned this notion of rituals um and i and i for example there are writers who speak of you know, at four o'clock sitting at their desk or going to a a local bar because then their muse will know where to find them. I don't have anything like that. I'm sorry to say I don't. I'm sorry for my own sake. No, but for my own Mm. sake, I wish I did so that I would know, okay, (laughs) you know, put in the time, had that meeting, I can move on. The only things that work for me with any kind of consistency and even then not always and Mm. I can't get too cocky about it or take it for granted, is silence and solitude. Uh, And I think it has to do with overhearing. Um, The same Mm. way, if you're in a crowded room, it's hard to listen. And so I can't overhear myself if it is my higher self speaking to me, if I am overly stimulated and surrounded by others, you know, yammering. Yeah. I'm the same way. I think it was Mary Oliver that wrote um, Creative Work Needs Solitude and something about when you're alone, the whole world flies in. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I assure you. Yeah, I love it. I assure you that other, besides Oliver, this truth echoes in the work of of so many uh, poets, philosophers and sages that that I've read and in in wording not dissimilar to, to, to Mary Oliver's. I wanted to just end with another one of the aphorisms from the book. Sure. Um, because I would like it to be my, uh, my new mantra for the podcast. Mm. <laughs> it's um, concern with the creative process, attest to the mystery at the heart of it. Ay, ay, ay. Um, That's a good one. That's a good one because it's yeah. so relevant to what we're talking about. And it's so relevant yeah. to your project, uh, your podcast. And it's relevant yeah. to both of us as creative artists uh, and, exactly. and any other artists out there listening. So, exactly. so why is that interesting? Why is that uh, worthwhile? Because again, if it were, if this riddle were solved, if this mm. riddle were solved, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Then we wouldn't exactly. be I- I- elusively chasing after this great unknown. Um, I, mm. I think of, I think of love in the same way, and I don't think of love necessarily as an interpersonal. I think love is, is mm. a creative force. Love is certainly a spiritual force. I, I think right. if, and I have an aphorism where I say, if love weren't always a step ahead, how would it ensure that we kept up the chase? And I, mm. this great love that's poured for us, this great mystery uh, of the creative process, if it were given to us all at once, we'd get fat mm. and lazy. 
and we'd, and we'd move right. on. But the fact right. that, 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 that we're given, you know, these glimpses, these glimpses every mm. once in a while. Of the mystery. Of yeah. the mystery. This, uh, the, the, a nibble <laughs> on a sugar cube here and there. Uh, <laughs> because we get yeah. that in installments, because we are time release capsules ourselves mm. and, 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 and allowed to, to, to be, uh, we, we're granted bits and pieces of ourselves at a time. Right, we unfolding the mystery. Un kind of, and, yeah. and unfolds, the mystery again unfolds. Mm -hmm. We carry on. It's that, it's that curiosity and yearning that keeps us going. And, and that's exactly. why we talk about the creative process. And we disagree. And some people are very practical. And they're like, no, if I wear this right. funny hat and I sit in this chair and I rotate twice, then I will produce the writing that I need to. And there's nothing mystical or elusive <laughs> about it. And someone else will say, I don't know. We don't know. And because we exactly. don't know, we continue to seek after it. And because we continue to seek after it, we realize we're not alone. And what we're seeking is also seeking us. And that exactly. sort of brings it, brings it, uh, it, it ties it back Full because <laughs> it is, it is a two way thing. And, and then, you know, every once in a while we have this, this remarkable union where we are, even I even learned recently, again through my wife, not mm. to hold sports in contempt, because in sports <laughs> one enters the zone, and in dance mm. you enter the zone. Yes, absolutely. And so, so I see this now more and more in sports, and I am much mm. more humble, and I don't dare <laughs> dis be dismissive and say, "Oh, what do they know? They're an athlete." No. They too sure. are, 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 are wood that found itself a violin. Yeah. And that's the remarkable thing is you can, you train and you must train. And that's your way of, of giving thanks for the gift. But just mm. training alone is no guarantee that you will have wings or sing. Right. Right. It's training and staying open, I think, at the same time. It's the staying open. It's absolutely yeah. the staying open. Yeah. Well, we're not alone in terms of having that creative spirit with us, but we're also not alone with other artists among us. I mean, that's why I love these conversations is to be able to to hear more about other people's creative processes and learn from that and be inspired from that. And I, I think it's so helpful to hear that other people are going through the same struggles and having the same doubts. And, it, you know, it, it just makes us feel a little bit less alone in our in our I, creative I solitude agree. so and, and as artists one has i'm not going to generalize but there is a tendency mm. to be solitary at least when one is creating and so mm. before podcasts before these great you know democratizing platforms and these shared conversations we didn't know how to just how together we were in our so-called aloneness and so it's, exactly. it, it is reassuring to, to come to these communal wells and uh, where we, you know, come to, to look at our reflections, but also to see that everyone else is peering there and, 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 and drawing force and sustenance in many of the same ways and some exactly. slightly different ways. But we're all kind of we're all struggling together uh, exactly. to, to try to sort of better receive, to better honor this very elusive discipline. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful thing to be able to come together. That's one of the one of the benefits of the internet. While it has its many faults, it's also 
a great thing. Yeah, no, I, I love this connector. stuff. I mean, I always, even as a, as a young reader, yeah. I would love reading about the writer's experience and the forewords to their books. Yeah, and I just, I love to have that intimate conversation about the creative process. And, and the reason is, is because exactly. it's a mystery. I don't get it. So the more help and hints I can get, the more it illuminates it for me. <laughs> Exactly. That's it. Well, that's what this is all about is trying to uncover little bits of Thank you for doing that. Focus. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of yes. this review. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much for for sharing your process with me. Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm really glad <laughs> I'm glad my book found you first and and introduced us yes. and made friends of us. Yahya's newest book, Where Epics Fail, as well as his other books through the publisher, Unbound, on Amazon, or check out your local bookstore. I'll have links to all of them, as well as some of his writing published online through the show notes on our website, rubyjosephine.com. Thank you again for listening to Process Piece in this first season. If you've been following along and feeling inspired, please leave a review in iTunes or share this podcast on social media or with your artist friends. Stay up to date with any news about the return of Process Piece behind the scenes and to get weekly inspirational links. Sign up for my newsletter at rubyjosephine.com slash subscribe. You can also follow this podcast at Process Peace on Instagram or my personal Instagram, Ruby Josephine Smith, where I share more about my dance and artistic work. The beautiful music for Process Peace is created by my brother, Cooper Lee Smith, so a huge thank you to him for composing this podcast jingle, as he calls it. Thank you so much for following along with this artistic, adventurous process with me, and I will talk to you all again at the end of the summer. Thank mm-hmm. you.